You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Tonight, as we are considering what it means or what makes a church, uh, just today, I'm always kind of at this part on Sunday, just thinking through things that the Lord has done, and you kind of know this smidgen of it and what the Lord might be accomplishing all among us, but uh, I think it's really important that today what something special is, you know, some of the baptisms we had, some of the conversations going on, there were a lot of people that I knew today that were bringing somebody for the first time to church, or maybe a new first time, but there's some people who were here today to support somebody and they'd never been to church before, and that puts a lot of pressure as the pastor, right? You're like, y'all better be on your best behavior when they show up, right? Okay, you kind of feel this weight, uh, because how many of you know this? Um, have you ever been in a church that you feel like I sat on this row next to these people and it could completely change the experience and if you sat somewhere else, does that make sense to you? That you can get around some people that are the people of God that are engaging and energetic and passionate and compassionate and you're like, man, I want to I invest my life with these people and then sometimes you go, I think I came to the wrong spot today, right? And, and so with this, just to be able to hear uh, one of the neat things that we were praying this morning is like, Lord, I pray that as these people come, that they would sit next to people, around people who would welcome them in, be excited that they're here, engage them with this, that there be a sense of welcoming and engagement, because it's so, so necessary uh, to do this. And so tonight, what I, I want to do as we think about what does it mean or what makes a church, this is so incredibly important, because as we kind of jumped at last week, um, since a local church is a body instead of a building, certain necessary distinctives must be present, right? Uh, you didn't come to church tonight. You may have came to a campus where a church gathers, but this isn't the church. The building could go away tomorrow, and the church here is still going to be the church. It's who we are. Uh, we're the church all week long, but sometimes we gather on 1801 Woodruff Road, and, uh, and yet this, the building's not where it is, but I have a biblical church. We cannot ignore, ignore biblical requirements. And so four kind of things I want to walk through with you here tonight. The first one is I think a church, if it's going to be a biblical church, needs to have something called biblical doctrine, right? Which may sound heady and stuffy and somewhat like, oh, that just doesn't sound really fun. But I will say this. Unless you get the truth of God's word right, you cannot be a church. You can be a country club, right? You can be some type of extracurricular activity. You can be some type of civic group. But unless you are being guided by the truth of God's word, there's no chance that you can be a church. So it's got to start here. Um, look at 2 John chapter 1, verse 6 that I got up there for you. It says, And this is love that we walk according to what? His commandments, right? Now, even in that phrase there, I think there's some important things that I, I, I got to at least highlight with you folks. That it's not just, if you think about it, it's not just believing in his commandments. It's what? Walking in them. This is you actively moving and, and operating your life according to some standard that is not your own. It's not your commandments. It's not the culture's commandments. It's his commandments, right? It's God's commandments that's teaching us. And this is the commandment just as you have heard from what? The beginning. From the beginning, which is crazy thought here, folks. But can we believe that this, this copy of God's Word in my hand represents truth that is eternal, that is unchanging? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. It doesn't change, right? 
which is kind of hard to believe because you do realize this. In the last five years of our life, has the culture changed any? Yeah. Last five months has changed, right? Certain things you never thought of even conversation. It's not only a conversation. It's almost like an agenda that everybody should accept or get left behind, right? Now, now this is, I think this is so key because it says, just as you've heard from the beginning, if it's God's commandments, it's from the beginning, and therefore it does not need a new addition or re revision. You know why? Because if God is perfect, that means his word is perfect. And if his word is perfect, it doesn't need an addition, a new one, because we all of a sudden got along the scene, and we can clarify some stuff we think God has gotten wrong. If we can fix something in God's understanding of how the world he created is to be, we got some problems, folks. Right? He's God. I'm not. And so we've got to say, okay, what's the what truth has been from the beginning? Once again, so you should walk in it. It's not just something you believe. It's something you, you carry out. Amen. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound what? Doctrine. Doctrine, Doctrine is this word like your belief system, what you believe. And it's saying sound. It means well, you do hear it. No, it means it's correct. What is sound doctrine? What is correct doctrine? Uh, there are... Um, I remember years ago uh, that one of my friends was getting, uh, she had never really made baptismal priority at her church. And uh, the pastor that she grew up in, grew up with, was just about to retire. And one of his last Sundays, she's like, you know, I probably should have been baptized a long time ago. Would you baptize me? Well, sure. You know, before you retire, I want to get baptized by the guy, whatever. So I went to a different church. So we got done with our church and ran over to their place, whatever, as soon as we could to try to get there in time for a baptism. We walk in the, they had kind of the baptismal thing after the service. And, and um, she walks up to me in tears and she said, can you please baptize me today? And I said, I, I don't know if that's allowed. I'm in college. I mean, well, I'm, this is not my church. Like, what do you mean? She goes, I cannot be baptized by him. And I said, what just happened? Like, what, what's going on here? She begins to tell me what his sermon had just been on moments earlier, and I thought she was exaggerating, so I got a copy of it. She was not exaggerating. On, on that day, he began to explain to her that, or explain it through his sermon, that God's love was so powerful that even our unbelief could not deter it. So we go, well, maybe, what, what exactly does that mean? He basically starts to begin to defend his position that he actually was a universalist, which means this. He believes that everybody is saved whether they know it or not. Whether they ever come to Jesus or not, God's going to save them. If they're Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, whatever, God's going to love them. So why do we go on mission? Well, it's not really to convert anybody or share anything, but just to tell them about the life they already have in Jesus. And you know what? Your even unbelief and rebellion is not stronger than God's love. Now, I would believe this, that there's no force uh, more powerful than God's love, but if you reject it with your life, you don't get it, right? Does it make sense to you? If I say, I don't want Jesus, you don't get Jesus at the end of your life. You've made your decision. And so with that, here he is espousing a universalist belief here on one of his last sermons, and she's like, I can't be baptized by this man, right? Why? Because it's not sound doctrine. It's unbiblical. It, it's him feeling torn about certain things and trying to make the Bible say what he wants it to say. And to do that means this, you got to copy, uh, you got to cut certain places out of it, right? You can't, you can't go, you got you to move past it. And, uh, and so as we teach as a church, we need to teach what accords with sound doctrine, which is why I always encourage everybody here, the moment that you feel like that from the pulpit that I preach, that if it's not coming out of sound doctrine, you get a new preacher. 
Okay, get a new one. Okay, say bye bye. Right? Okay, you move on from it. Is that a question or a yes, sir? Yes. Did you baptize her? I did not. They did not let me baptize her. I'm sorry, I did not end that that, that story. They did not let me baptize her. She baptized, and we just prayed that the Lord saw it as a genuine thing on her part. Right? Okay. But this was but this was a serious thing. I, I was a college student. I wasn't a pastor, but this was just a oh my. And then the question comes: This she goes, how much have I inherited from what? He has taught through the years that may not be in the scripture. You ever thought of that? You got to be careful because, folks, once again, there's so many people that are teaching a lot of stuff, but it's not biblical. So we, we teach you. Teach what accords with sound doctrine, right? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do you believe we are standing in those times today, folks? Do you believe we are walking away from the truth and saying, I want somebody to tell me what I want to hear? Guess what? You can find somebody who will say that. You'll find somebody who's even got a verse that they've taken out of context, just like Satan loves to do, and tell you you've got freedom to do whatever you want to do. Folks, this is so important that you have to make sure that we have a doctrine distinctives of what does it mean to be a true church. Without a clear standard for truth, a church will drift into acceptance of unscriptural trends. It is a subtle compromise that happens throughout the years. It's never a blatant, Satan is not going to say, here's a biblical church, and then tomorrow, let's throw all the Bible away. What are they going to say? Let's just compromise a little bit. Let's just compromise a little bit. Let's just compromise a little bit. And month after month, year after year, uh, over time, you find out that we're not, we're no longer following the Bible, but there are unscriptural trends that we are basically drifting into this is where churches and denominations and people are splitting all the time. You know why? Because they're not teaching what accords with sound doctrine. Um, the Bible should be the unashamed textbook in all arenas of a true church. Amen. We should not get to something else where, well, the pastor thinks this, even though the Bible says something different. Or, um, I'll be honest, I get frustrated a lot of times when I feel like people preach uh, Christian living books a lot more than they do the Bible. You know, like there are, this is what I'd say, 2 Timothy 3 says that the Bible is the inspired word of God. God breathes it out. Let me say this. There are a lot of inspiring books out there. There's only one inspired book. See the difference? There, there are Christian books I love reading. I, I, I love one of my favorite authors. He's uh, going to be the Lord now, A.W. Tozer. Love reading that man. Inspiring. It's not inspired. There are errors in there. When I come to the Bible, I don't believe there's an error in it. I believe this is God's word given to us. So it's the unashamed textbook in all true arenas of a true church. That's why um, whether you are here tonight and you were saying, hey, Rocky Creek's my church, or you're like, I don't know if Rocky Creek's going to be my church, or I'm just here or whatever, or you may be here for the rest of your life, or you may say, I'm just here for a certain point of time. Here's what I would want you to, to evaluate. I can... I can deal with a lot of things that are not necessarily my preferences in a church. Make sense? But if you walk away from Scripture, I'm out. Like, I can deal with music that's maybe not my favorite. I can deal with programming that I don't necessarily like. Aesthetics, I don't care about. Buildings, I don't care about. You walk away from Scripture, I'm out. That's got to be the thing, right? But let's be honest. How many things in this world today, and even I can find myself trying to get caught up in this, we want to attract people to our church, and it's not based on the Bible. Amen. It's based on perks. Amen. It's based on amenities. It's based on we've got this better than those people down there, right? And it's crazy to me how many churches actually build their churches critiquing other churches, right? 
You know, your church you grew up in used to do it this way, but we do it this way. Well, fantastic. Way to go, right? And yet, it's not on the Bible. It's on just man-made kind of silliness, if you think about it. The Bible's got to be the true textbook in these different areas in preaching, right? Preaching is a major area. You would think, oh, of course that's it. No, don't say of course is it. Um, because there is a difference, and I'm just going to tell you this. Maybe you've, you can see this. Maybe you've never thought about it this way. There's a difference where the Bible drives the sermon rather than the sermon driving the Bible. You follow? Like, one is, what does the text of Scripture say? And the preacher needs to communicate that. Another is, the preacher goes, I got an idea that I want to say. Where's a verse that will support that? Well, that's not Scripture driving the preaching. That's the, the person driving the preaching, trying to take a verse to kind of suit their own thing. Be careful there. Um, some people would say, Man, why, don't, why don't, you know, preach it through books like Nehemiah? You know why I like preach through books like Nehemiah? Because I know this is what God has said, not me. You know, I feel pretty good. I think he comes up with a better sermon series than I ever will, right, okay? And I also know this, that there are just some ways just go through what the word is and let his word speak in our preaching. I also say this in worship. Folks, there are some worship songs out there that are about as shallow as you can find, right? Uh, they're not scriptural. They're not pointing you to truth. They're not pointing you to the cross. They're not pointing you to the gospel. They're pointing to you. You're having a bad day. God can make you feel better. Well, guess what? That's not what the hope of the gospel is to make me feel better. The hope of the gospel is to have me forgiveness and to let the wrath of God be satisfied through Christ Jesus so I can find eternity with him. And I'll just say this, that um, some of you know this, but before I came here, part of my job was a worship pastor. And we wrote worship songs, and we would lead original worship songs in our church. And then sometimes we would just write through chunks of Scripture to communicate these things. And I'll just say this, sometimes I would listen to worship songs that I would be on the radio or stuff you'd listen to and everybody's singing. I'm going, number one, there's no Scripture in it. I think it might even be unbiblical what they're saying sometimes. It's so shallow that I'll be, let me straight with you. Listen the next time you're listening to the, the, the top Christian songs of the day. And if they don't say the name Jesus, if the cross isn't there, if redemption's never there, if the blood's never there, forgiveness is never there, if it's just life is hard and typically it's either done, it's, it's, it's forecasted literally by some kind of storm or some kind of waves. Like that's all that it's about, right? Is getting over the waves, getting over the giants, getting over the storms. And that's the basis of it. But it never deals with our greatest issue, the sin issue. You might have a problem. In fact, a lot of Christian songs out there today, you could replace Jesus with the name baby. And you know what would happen? It'd be a top 40 song on a secular radio station. You following me? Like, I just love you, baby. Love you, baby. Love you, baby. Like that's all the song says, right? It never gets to the point of like, where am I? Can I, I want when I'm singing, like, I want, I want to like sing out the words of God because I know them to be true. Today when we are singing like the, the, the cross is finished, like I'm just wanting to shout that out like in defiance to everything the enemy wants to tell me to say, you know what? When Christ was on the cross and he said it is finished, he meant that about my sin debt. It's finished and I'm not listening to your lies anymore. Like I sing and worship in defiance of that. And that's what you want in worship. It's scriptural, right? It's not just what makes you feel good. Like, what does the Bible say about this? The Bible's got to be central in our discipleship. It has to be. Um, and so with that, like, how we disciple each other, what kind of curriculum we use, what we go through together as a church when you're in a small group, what is it? Um, that's why uh, I've always been hesitant of two things. And as shepherd of this church, I kind of, I guess, have the prerogative to try to protect us from that. But one is where the textbook 
is somebody else's book rather than the Bible, right? So we use the Gospel Project curriculum, and what is it? Well, it's a curriculum that walks us through three years through the Bible chronologically. We want to get to the Word. And so when I'm, when I'm leading my gospel group, I'm not going, now the gospel project says, I'm saying the Bible says, right? That's our textbook. It helps us navigate to it. But I'll also say one thing that I'm seeing an a alarming trend in uh, today. And y'all, y'all, I promise this is going to be all pastor soapbox, but we're having to dive into some of this stuff today. One of the most alarming trends is today is that there are a lot more Bible study groups that are getting into a mindset where there's not a person teaching in the room Somebody's pressing play on a video. And the reason why I think this is dangerous, there's actually, there's, there's, there's forms of discipleship out there. You can subscribe to certain media groups that's just like a Christian Netflix for Bible studies right now. And instead of Joe or Sarah leading your group, you can go to this famous pastor or this wonderful speaker. And you know what? Can they teach the Bible better than the person sitting in the room? Probably. I went to school for this. They speak all these kind of stuff. But you know what that does? Two things. Number one, it teaches the people in your church that they don't have enough knowledge or skills to teach anybody the Bible, and you just need to trust in the professionals that you got to play on a video screen. And number two, it limits the opportunity for development for people who do have the gift of teaching but have never had the opportunity to flesh it out. So I'm just saying this right now. There's an alarming trend in our society that's obsessed with a professional on a screen rather than people who are working through it in the room. That's in worship, that's in discipleship, that's in groups, and that is depending upon an individual rather than the Spirit of God working through those people in that. And I'll just say, um, I would take somebody who fumbles through their words but cares about my soul and knows my name a lot better than just watching another video. You can watch that on YouTube. When we come to the church, we need to be in the Word, and we need to be in the Word together. We need to think about the word as it revolves around generations here. So from our youngest to our oldest in our church, we don't need to just sort of wander off into myths. We need to say, what does the word say? Our teenagers need to know what the word of God says about purity and sexuality right now, right? Because they're getting hit with a whole lot of other stuff out there. Our, our, our youngest folks need to understand that they're made in the image of God and loved. We need to know every aspect. We need those things to drive it. So even from our senior adults or our preschoolers, everybody in between, we go, is the word driving what we do? Or is something else driving it? Where, where are we in that? We think about our activities as a church. We think about the stuff that we do. Is, is it scripture guiding it? Or is it just like, well, other churches do this and they get a crowd. Okay, that's great, but, but what does Scripture have to say to that? You even go down to administration, right? When, when you have that, like, what does the church do? How they, they interact? How do they do the, the things that God's called them to do? Folks, a lot of times I've been to churches that feels a lot more like Congress than it does a church, right? Okay? Uh, it, it is more about like, uh, and I understand you've got to go here, and some people will pick on me for saying this. I think the scripture should be more of a textbook for a church's operating procedures than Robert's rule books of order. If that makes sense. Okay, so I don't even know what that is. This guy named Robert made him up, said, if you're in a room, this is how you need to conduct business. I get that. But let me say, I've also been in rooms where people had that book out, and they have not lived biblical either. They've been ungodly. They've been ugly. They have not shown Christ's compassion. And I think we find ourselves veering off into other stuff rather than what does scripture teach us to be as the people of God. Without a clear and eager submission to the scriptures, we elevate our opinions over God's word. We find ourselves drifting into other stuff, and instead of God's word being the ultimate authority, it's us. And I'll just say this. I don't trust myself with such things. 
I believe God is a lot more prone to be able to tell me how I need to live my life. And that's biblical doctrine. Let's talk about biblical gathering. What does that mean? When we gather together as the church, what should it look like? Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, when the early church had just been uh, come, Pentecost had happened, 3,000 people are uh, being baptized that day. It says, and day by what? Day, they were doing two things, right? They were attending the temple together, right? And breaking bread in their what? Homes. Do you see that? That's called the church. You know, no, I thought the church was a place that you went to. It says day by day they were either in the temple or in each other's homes. They were doing life together, okay? They were meeting together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I like that, right? Day by day, those who are being saved. Like, hey, it's not just on Sundays. It's just like, no, so-and-so is sharing Christ with somebody. And they're like, um, I don't know what service you were in today, but one of our services, we had somebody who shared Christ with a coworker, right? And they came to faith there, like, throughout those relationships. Now she's discipling, and now she had the opportunity to, to baptize this friend that she had led to Christ, right? It went on a Sunday that happened. That was happening in the middle of the week. You know why? Because we are the church all week long. Like, that's who we've called to be. And so I just love this because the Lord's adding day by day those people who are being saved. Like today at the 1030 service, it's, just, it's remarkable to me. This, I guess we've had more than 65 days in this calendar year, but that was the 65th person that had been baptized in this church this year. It's just incredible to me to think about all the life changes in this story and that story and this story and that story of all God is doing through those lives. And, and this is, but they, they didn't just, they were being the church as they would go, but they would also make sure they were gathering together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to what? Meet together, as is the habit of some. And this would be a good verse for 2022, isn't it? <laughs> What's the habit of some? Neglecting to gather together with the church, right? Neglecting to gather together with the people of God. No, we don't want to do that. We want to encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's that day talking about? The day when Jesus returns. And I would just say that until that day, I'm going to need a lot of encouragement, folks. Because this world's about driving me crazy, right? I need encouragement. So what do you do? You gather together. And don't neglect it. Why? Some people are making it a habit. They just don't neglect. They only come together when they need something or when they feel guilty or when they feel like, oh, I probably need to do this so often. I'll be honest with you. I know I'm a pastor, but if I can't be with the church on a weekly basis, I feel off. I just feel like my whole week is thrown off, right? I'm just I'm out of it. If I've if I've had to like travel overseas or if we're somewhere out and I'm not around, even if I'm preaching at a different church on a Sunday and I'm not with this church body on Sunday, I just don't feel right. I I need that gathering of God's people. Why? Because I am not always good in the love and the good works department, right? I need, I need help on that, on the regular to do that. So how do we do that? We gather together. And 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. You can't encourage one another if you're not around one another. Right? Like shocking thought, right? You can't build one another up unless you're around one another. And... Um, if biblical information could transform you, biblical information alone, knowledge could transform you, then why is the devil the devil? Right? Just knowing stuff 
If no one's stuff was what transformed you, then why is the devil the devil? Because the, I mean, Satan knows more scripture than you, all of us here, combined together. To be honest with you, he knows it. But obviously, that changes life. So, so what is it, folks? You can watch any YouTube clip you want to of any preacher that you want to in the world. You can listen to any podcast, go to any song you want to. But there's something different about gathering together with God's people where you can see their eyes, they can see yours, and you can say legitimately, how you doing and how can I help? And, that, and that's what so often we miss as the people of God. Um, I believe in the last 40 years, as churches have grown larger, it's a very easy scenario that some people like to get lost in the crowd. Right? We're in this weird spot, Rocky Creek, right? We have, I think I was looking just a little while ago, we have this year 65 people have been baptized and 114 people have joined this church. Okay? That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm looking at? Well, that's a lot more issues, a lot more people that we've got to take care of, a lot more, you know, I'm just thinking, and here's what I know. When a church is small, you know what's easy to do? If you're missing one week, somebody's going to say, you all right? Right? The larger it gets... Nobody's going to really notice, and some people like that, right? You want to be in the shadows so you can slip in when you need something, but nobody be getting in your business when you haven't been around. And there's a danger here that somehow we can get information and yet not be known. If you can slip in the back door and you're out before the last thing and you've never known, then you can't do what 1 Thessalonians 5.11 is saying to encourage one another, build one another up. So think about gathering distinctives, what has to be there. A church is not a building to enter or a program to attend, but a people with whom to gather, to come together as the people of God. That's what he's called us to do. It's to come together to be able to join, to be able to do things that, once again, information, one-sided kind of communication cannot do. We need the people of God. We need gathering together. Um, I've mentioned before, but the first international mission trip I ever took was to Tokyo, Japan, and I worked with a church called Coco Bungie Baptist Church. And I can remember that first Sunday that when Pastor Hero uh, was closing and a closing prayer and has arms stretched out, and I'm peeking because I don't know if Amen is Amen, and I just want to make sure I'm not standing there, you know, my eyes closed. And he is, and he's praying his heart out, and he says Amen. And I do everything that I've done at that when I was 18 years old for the last 18 years. When the preacher says Amen, I'm heading to the buffet, right? That's where I'm going. I'm out the door. Let's go. And I go to the back door and realize nobody else has moved. Like they, they, the service is over, but everybody's hanging out. I'm going. So I slipped back in my seat. I'm like, hey, I thought Pastor Hero dismissed us. He's like, yeah, he did. What's everybody doing in here? And they're like, just spending time with each other? I'm like, interesting thought, right? Okay. So we, we did have lunch that day, and then I went back in the sanctuary that day at 2 o'clock, and people were still there, and I finally had to go upstairs because I was still jet-lagging and, and have my little nap on my tatami mat upstairs, and I came downstairs at 4 o'clock. 50 people still in the, serv- still in the sanctuary. So there's service at 6 o'clock. I'm like, what are these people doing here? Finally, I just asked, I asked this guy named Yohei. I said, what do you, don't y'all have homes? Like, what are you doing? Like, why have you been here all day? And he said, Travis, I got on a train this morning and drove two hours to get to a church where I know preaches the word. And these will be the only Christians I see all week. I've got to get everything I can out of this moment. Amen. That's the church. That was the first moment in my life where I understood what the church ought to be. Where I finally go, that, it's not just rush in, rush out. Like, no, I need to gather with these people. Like, it's something important to me. But a lot of people can't get that because we allow associations 
of lower importance to rob us of time we need to gather with the people of God. Um, there are plenty of things that can draw us away from gathering with the people of God. And I'm going to say this as a Christian, not as a pastor right now. Okay? Because you think, oh, you're a pastor, you've got to say this. I'm just saying as a straight-up disciple of Jesus Christ, even if it was not my calling and vocation to follow King Jesus and to do what I do every single day, I believe this. We all need the people of God or we're not going to make it. You can't do this. And, and so, so, But the problem that I see today more than ever before is we are so inundated with so many little associations that we can't differentiate between what is this civic club that I'm a part of and the eternal church of Jesus Christ that is ushering the kingdom of God to the nations. And what I unfortunately see, all right, I see sometimes people put more precedence on their kids' soccer team than they do the church. Right? And you go, well, you know, but if, if they're... They don't go to that soccer. They're never going to get a scholarship at college, and they'll never make a chance to be professional. How many professional soccer players do you know? Anybody? Anybody know a professional soccer player out there? None of y'all, most of y'all don't even have a jersey. You're like, if I say, what's a professional soccer team? You're like, uh, they have those? They have them, right? And yet, let me tell you what's happening. Parents are sacrificing their kids' formative years, teaching them to strike a soccer ball and not teaching them how to commit to the people of God and to open up their scriptures and defend themselves against a godless culture. Turn 18 and you can kick a soccer ball, they ain't going to save your soul. And what happens is, all these things can drag us away. Few, few different things that can cause us. One is just laziness, right? Some people don't come to church because they just downright lazy, Right? I've been working all week. Well, so has everybody else. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people else have, okay, right? Yeah, I'm tired, you know. I just, you know, I, I'm just, I'm real sleepy. Why? Well, I just, you know, getting did a lot of sleep last night. Oh, yeah, because Clemson's been on at 8 o'clock the last three weeks in a row, and you're too tired to come to church. I get it, folks, okay? I understand. There are certain ebb and flow of your life. It's like, I'm just tired. I, I get it. But you will set the alarm for the things that you value. You will. You'll make time for it. You'll, you'll, you'll go to sleep earlier for something if you are, oh, you know that's important. You'll, you'll get up and you'll do this, but sometimes laziness. Uh, you know, uh, if you don't know this, just a reminder, before I ran down the hallway, I'm preaching 5 o'clock service, and the reason why I preached a 5 o'clock service was before COVID hit, our 9 and 10.30 were getting so full we were going to have to do something else, and we were considering what if we took a shot and did an evening service that was the exact copy of the Sunday morning service. Maybe, maybe some people would come to that, right? And then COVID kind of forced our hand. And so we had to do that, okay? And along the way, we started finding people who couldn't come on Sunday morning because of work or other stuff. And so we said, we're just going to keep that service at 5 o'clock. There's probably 70, 80 people in that service tonight. And I just love, love, love that service of people because some people are working or some people are got schedules. or And this is what I've told a lot of people. Hey, if you say you need to sleep in, I just took away one of your excuses. You better be up by 445. Okay, right? You ought to be up by 445. And you can get your little keister over to the church house and you can gather with God's people trying to take away that excuse of laziness. But some of it is just busyness, right? Too busy. Too much stuff going on. This group, this program, this activity. And um, once again, it can be sports, travel ball. As I'm telling you, in 20 years, we're going to look at the state of the spirituality in this country, and travel ball is going to have a whole lot to do with it. 
It's shocking to me. I'll never, I'll never forget. I had a guy, I, I, I taught religions at a secular university for about eight years. Um, and one of the things that I, there was a, um, a baseball player who uh, told me one day that, man, all this stuff I'm learning in your religion course, like all this stuff's coming back to memory because I used to go to church as a little kid. I said, oh, that's awesome. And he went to church. He said, my parents took me to church as a kid. And all these stories you're talking about Jesus, like they're coming back to my memory. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. But I feel like it's just like tucked down. I said, well, you said you went to church. Do you not go to church now? He goes, no, we stopped going. I was about eight. I said, why? He goes, I was way too good at baseball. I said, well, at least... You know, honest, right? I was way too good at baseball. I, I had to get on the travel ball circuit and this kind of stuff. And I said, well, tell me now what's going on. He said, I had a, a career-ending uh, injury this season. I'll never play ball again. And now I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Now, you, you think about how we invest our lives into stuff so tri- that's so frail, right? So fragile. One little adjustment on the field, it's over. And the busyness and the stuff we attach to and do this and do that and do this and do that and whatnot. And, and some people really, they legitimately don't have time to make time for the church because of everything else. And I've just told my kids that even at, at different points in their life, you're going to do one extra thing outside of church. And that's it. Because I'm not going to be a chauffeur going to 14 things a week and you not having time to be with God's people. You know why? Because your soul is more important to me than anything else in your life. And that's where we're going to invest. And we're going to have time to do other stuff. But sometimes people just don't have time because they're so busy. Some people miss church because of pettiness. Right? Now, I'm not going to ask you to name a name of anybody you know in a church that's petty. Okay? Right? But have you ever known somebody get so frustrated all up in their feelings? So-and-so hurt my feelings. They looked at me funny. Da, 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 and they're just not going to be around. And they're going to miss the opportunity to encounter God among God's people because of pettiness. Get over yourself, ask forgiveness or forgive, and move on. For the name of Jesus Christ, get over yourself and make some progress in this. Don't let pettiness. And then the last one is just craziness. You go, you talking about my aunt? No, I'm not necessarily. Maybe. Okay. But I would just say this. In our culture right now, if you haven't known, that's about the best description I can find of our culture right now. We are just downright crazy. And if it was not known, 2020 has revealed it to us in full, full, right, uh, availability for us to see. And the reason why I say this is um, some people talk about the COVID crazies, right, kind of make us all kinds of wonky or whatever. And um, this is what we said as a church, and some of you weren't here at that time when all that stuff happened, but I said, you need to make the decision that's best for you and your family, and you don't have to defend that to anybody else. But what I am asking you to do, if you say you are too scared to come to church, you better be consistent. You better be staying home for everything else. Right? Because <laughs> I ran into somebody in a restaurant one time in the middle of the height of COVID. And I mean, it's just like this. You know, we're in the waiting, waiting line. Like, just everybody's stacked in there on top of everybody. You can't even. I mean, I feel like I'm feeling people breathe on me. And I'm not a germ phobe, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable in here. And I see this person in the church I hadn't seen in months. I'm like, hey, you're alive. How's everything going, right? I just don't feel comfortable coming to church. <laughs> have you looked where we are right now? Like, have, have you seen how there is no person? Yeah, I just don't know what that's like. I just don't feel comfortable. And this is what I'm saying. Just be consistent. If you're too fearful to go in public, okay, fine. But don't say I can't come to church when my kids are going to be drinking everybody else's swim water at the pool practice every single day. Like, just be consistent, right? Don't use COVID as an excuse to walk away from the church. 
Don't. If you're fearful, I get it. We're going to work with you. We're going to care with you. But if it's that thing and that I'm only walking away from church, that's that's the problem. You're looking for a scapegoat there. And uh, I blame I blame stuff on COVID all the time. But uh, this is not exactly what you want to do. Why, why is it important to gather with God's people? Because we are unable to fulfill Christ's commands in isolation. You can't do it. you got to gather with God's people to be who God has called us to be, to do what God has called us to do. Now, Let's look at these last two. I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit, I promise. Okay, Biblical leadership is important. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 talks about uh, groups of people in the church called elders. Let me explain what this says. It says if somebody's going to be an elder or a pastor, it says if someone does not know how to manage his own what? Household. Household how will he care for God's church? Okay, so what does this mean? There must be people in a church, any type of organization, that's got to at least set the lead, right? Some type of way. And this is saying, if they can't manage their house, they don't need to be managing the church. There's some type of aspect we've got to consider here. Uh, Titus 1.5 says, speaking, uh, Paul says to Titus, Hey, I told you to put some elders there, so you might put what remained into what? Order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He's saying, hey, there's sometimes in church things are getting out of, out, of, out of whack and we need to bring some order to what we're doing here. So therefore, these leaders are kind of important. And then Hebrews 13, 17, you rarely hear a preacher preach from this verse or at least even quote it. But I love you too much to avoid it. It says, obey your leaders. And this is talking about spiritual leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your what? Souls, as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Why do I, I bring this verse up? Because as someone who has been called, I believe, and appointed by God to be a leader in God's church, I have a responsibility that one day I will face God and he will say, how did you care for the people at Rocky Creek? And that is a weight that I wrestle with. More than I could probably even articulate to you tonight of how I pray and struggle and, and wrestle with, is this the best way? Is this the best way? And i got to one day say, God, you entrusted their souls to me at some level, right? I've got to be responsible for that. It, it never hit me so hard as, as, as a guy in our church, young father here, who said, hey, I just want to let you know, like, I'm thankful for you. I pray for you every day. In fact, I, I'm so committed. Like, I tell my kids every single week, you sit down and listen to this man because I trust your soul with him. Now, I didn't feel like preaching after that. I was scared to death because I'm like, oh my goodness, I've never heard anybody say it that way. But what is he saying? No, look, this is soul work we're about, right? And so he says, with this, there's got to be some type of order, and you want to do this with joy and not with groaning. So if I were to think about the members of our church, do I pastor some with joy and some with groaning? <laughs> a lot of joy, folks, a lot of joy, okay? But is there, he says, look, you don't want to be in such a way that it's, it says no advantage, not to him or to them, right? It says no advantage to you. If you live in a certain way. And so what, what, what does that mean? Really quickly, a local church should be under the authority of Jesus, the leadership of the pastors, the service of the deacons, and the ministry of the members. When we look at what a biblical church ought to be based upon what the New Testament tells us, there are a few people involved. Four, four layers here. Local church should be under the authority of Jesus. And where do we find what Jesus has called us to do? Under the authority of his word that we've got together. He is the authority. And in that authority, he has given us people to lead us in the sake of pastors. Here at this church, we have six pastors who pastor this church and try to do what they can. 
not to go rogue on their own, but to say, we're under the authority of Jesus. We want to lead this church under the authority of Jesus, and we got to lead that way. And with this, you know what the deacons, that role, a lot of times in churches, that kind of gets messed up. But what the word deacon means is servant. Is what it's supposed to do. Is to say, uh, you, you find this, that in, even uh, that they're saying, hey, there's so many needs in the church. We're going to come alongside the pastors and address needs within the church. How do we care for people? Some of you grew up in a church where the deacons weren't the servants. They were the business board that made all the decisions, right? And ran off people when things got a little haywire, right? This is not what the biblical model is. And then also the ministry of the members. Really quick, know this. Pastors are accountable to God for how they lead, provide, and protect the congregation. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 says that my job is to shepherd the flock among me. Right? Shepherd the flock. Like as, as an under-shepherd, Christ is the chief shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. I do what he says to do those three things. I want to lead. Hey, this is the still waters we need to go to. Right? Here's the green pastures we need to go to. I want to provide and care for the needs that are here. And I also want to protect the congregation because there's a lot of wolves out there that are trying to fleece the flock. And so i got to be careful how I do that. And we are accountable to God. I know there are other people who would love to tell me how I do my job, and you have every right to do so. If you think that I'm doing great, you can tell me. If you think I'm doing horrible, you can tell me, and I'd probably believe you, okay? But at the end of the day, God is going to be the one who tells me whether or not I'm in step with how he's called us to lead. Deacons are called to help the pastors meet the multifaceted needs of a church's membership. In Acts chapter 6, the needs were so great, there were some widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so it says that Peter and the other apostles gathered together some men who basically served a deacon role to say, we can't get to this if we meet every need. We can't focus on preaching. We can't focus on prayer. We can't do the things God's called us to do. Can you help us? And these men stepped up and met a need in the church, and the church continued to grow because of it. Uh, It is an important, important aspect of what's going on here. And then members, they are expected to do their part for the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4.12 says, my job is to equip, and the member's job is actually to do the ministry. Now, typically we think of, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do all the ministry, right? If we only equate what can be done in a church's ministry based on the pastors that are on staff, it is very limited. My job is to try to equip people to do the things that God's called and equipped you to do, so therefore we can meet a whole lot of needs out there. Um, right, Right now, in just a little bit, for our overcomers in the room, we're about to feast on a meal that some people came in last night to prepare, been working all afternoon, and I can promise you this, you better be thankful that your pastor is not the one preparing that meal for all you hungry gentlemen, okay? You know why? Because you would go away sick or still hungry, right, okay? Like, it would just be like, this is not, you know, so what happens here is, if you expect a couple people to do all the work, you miss out on, number one, those people can't do it, they get burnt out, but you also take away the opportunity for people to use their gifts to serve. Every single person in here, if you've got the spirit inside of you, you've got gifts that God has and you need to unlock them and use them for the glory of God and the good of others. If not, you're really stunting a lot of your personal growth. The last thing here is biblical membership. You may think, well, I've never joined a church because I've never read the word membership in the Bible. You're right. Let me explain where this comes from. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These are new converts, and it says they devoted themselves to what? 
Okay, this teaching that's taking place is coming from people that are speaking on behalf of God. They're, they're devoting themselves to gathering together. They're devoting themselves to breaking of bread. So they're caring for each other's needs. And they're devoting themselves to prayers. There is an, there's an understanding when those 3,000 people got baptized, this is the body of people. This is who belongs here. This is who's a part of. They knew who was in. They knew who was out. That's why baptism is important. If it's only like bow your heads, close your eyes, and raise your hand, but don't tell anybody you belong to Jesus, nobody knows, right? The three people who got baptized yesterday, we can say they've said they belong to Jesus in this church, and now we know to watch out for them. Look at 1 Corinthians 5.12. Paul is speaking about an issue in this messed up church, and he says, For what have I to do with judging what? Outsiders. Is it not those inside the church you are to judge? Now that flies in the face of everything you've ever heard in church, right? Only God can judge me. He will, but guess what? As the church, we're also responsible to keep each other accountable. Too often, the church judges outsiders and says it's nobody's business on the sins of the insiders. Scripture actually teaches us to do the complete opposite. It's our business to look at other brothers and sisters in Christ and say, you're not representing Christ well, and we need to get you back on track. And our job is not to judge the outsiders. You know why? The world's going to act like the world's going to act. That's what they do, right? So with this, do you see that Paul is saying there are people inside the church, Corinthian church, and there are people that are what? Outside the church. It's obvious. It was, they, they may have not had a membership covenant they signed. They may not have had a database where they had everybody's addresses, but they knew who was on the inside and who was on the outside. Matthew 18, 17, Jesus said it this way. Speaking about a, a church discipline issue, hey, if, if this person refuses to, to listen to them, somebody summing, confronting them in sin, tell it to the what? Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be as a Gentile and a tax collector. He says, somebody's in sin, go show them his sin in private. If they don't listen, bring along a partner. And if not, bring it before the church. Let a larger group from the body say, hey, you're not acting like you belong to Jesus. And if they don't repent, there is this thing, you're not acting like you belong. You see the division here? Like There's some that are in, there's some that are not. That's all that this is saying here. And I say that because the distinctive that we have to know is a church member is someone who identifies with Jesus and a local church. There is a clear commitment to say, not only do I belong to Jesus, but I belong to a local church. That's why baptism is not done in private. It's done in public to say, I belong to Jesus and I don't care if anybody here sees this. In fact, when I come up out of the waters, I want you to recognize I belong to him and I belong to you. Like we're, we're, we're in this together now, right? And within membership, a person makes a statement that they would no longer belong to the world and that they commit uniquely to a local body. So to commit to the church is to say this. I'm no longer a part of the world. I'm distinct from the world. I'm different then. But also I commit uniquely to a local body. Can I just say that I've got friends who pastor churches down the road from here that I love so, so much. But at the end of the day, I'm not supposed to shepherd the flock among them. I'm supposed to shepherd the flock here, Right? And so you don't need to be a cherry picker going to all different types of churches because you like to worship here and you like preaching here and you know there's some pretty ladies over there and I like the programs over here and this kind of da 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 All you're doing is what? You are going after what suits your little fancies and all this kind of stuff and you never are contributing yourself. You need to say, these are my people. 
These are my ride or die people, right? I am in with them, and they know who I belong to, and, and, and I belong to them, that I'm stuck with these people. And the problem is this. We have such a culture of just changing membership all the time or just kind of cherry-picking over here, and we're never, ever committed to this. Membership is necessary for the sake of the individual and for the sake of the entire body. You may say to me, Pastor, I don't think I really need a local church. I don't need other people in my life. While I think you are a liar and misled, if I just went with that, if you said, I'm so spiritually mature that I don't need anybody, this is my now other way to look at this. If you're that mature, can you at least hang around us so you can make us as mature as you are? Because I'm a mess. Okay, And I need some people who have got it together to help me out. So folks, I want to unlock something that could change the way you see church. Maybe it's not all about what you get out of it. Maybe it's what God has put in you so that you can help other people. So you felt like it's been stuck? I get it. You made it about you. If you say, I want it to be about the glory of God, the good of others, it changes the way that we see the church. So Father, tonight I do pray that as we have talked about this concept, this, this, uh, this doctrine here about what does it mean to be the local church, I pray for the people who are members here or people who are just kind of guests of ours this time or people who are part of this class that maybe haven't committed. Lord, protect us from the wolves out there, the unbiblical doctrine, the type of unbiblical gatherings that's out there, unbiblical leadership, unbiblical membership. Help protect us from this consumeristic culture that makes it all about us and what we can get out of it. And help us see that we have been saved not by good works, we've been saved for good works. And God, maybe the part of the reason some of us have got stagnant is we've never started to be the church ourselves and to give back and to help others. And so I pray that you would help every single person here tonight. That they either need to dig into this local church and be committed and say they're all in on what they can do, or they need to find one that they can, God, because not only do they need to grow, but there are other people who need the wisdom and discipleship and gifts and service that they have to offer as well. So Lord, we love the local church because you love the local church and help us to be the best example of one that we possibly can be with your power. In the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.